1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations
2: to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: This time last week, the city of Kiev was a bustling European capital. But a lot's happened since then. There is no life in Kyiv, there is just uh, a lot of Russian occupants, uh, they come from tanks and uh,
3: it's terrible. Hundreds and hundreds of people here in Dnipro who have come to the centre of town and they are in the process of making Molotov cocktails.
2: I'm here in order to protect my family, my country, my people.
0: In less than a week, the world has changed. Yesterday, President Putin put his country's nuclear forces on high alert. In Ukraine, people have rallied around the President, who in the course of a week has transformed into an inspirational wartime leader. But for Volodymyr Zelensky, that's come at a price.
3: The enemy has marked me down as number one target. My family is the number two target. They want to destroy Ukraine politically by destroying the head of state.
0: And today we have new revelations about the plot to kill the president of Ukraine. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manvin Rana. Today... The Russian mercenaries stalking President Zelensky.. Yesterday, after a dramatic night in Kiev, I got in touch with one of the brilliant team of journalists The Times has on the ground to find out how things were in the capital.
1: My name's Catherine Philp. I'm the diplomatic correspondent for The Times. Catherine, firstly, just how and where are you? (laughs) I'm in a different location to the one that I've previously spoken to you from. I moved a couple of days ago into a location that we thought was probably a bit better provisioned for what lies ahead. So I'm mm. still in central Kiev. I'm actually slightly disturbingly rather more close to government buildings, which might be dark. Is, is this but definitely a good idea? <laughs> we, have, we have a shelter. So there's an underground, two-level underground bunker and car park at the hotel. So that's where we go in the events of bombardment. And that happened last night, actually. We got a a warning from Ukrainian air defences that uh, we were going to get hit in 30 minutes. So we got a bit of notice to get down there with our duvets and uh, pillows. (laughs) What do you do when you're told you've got 30 minutes? I mean, that was the most notice we've had. It's usually a siren. So it's actually, you know, it felt like, oh, that's okay. That's a decent amount of time, but I should probably move right now. So I have a grab bag, which has got all my money, passport, press card, everything I would need in an emergency, and my bedding. (laughs) I scrambled that all up and threw it over. Oh, and my flak jacket uh, as well, yeah.
0: Yeah, just as well. And what was it like down there in the bunker?
1: It feels like a bit like a sort of sensory deprivation chamber because you can't hear the sirens down there. You can hear the strikes, but any other noise you can confuse for that. So there was a door <laughs> that kept banging and it sort of sounded a bit like shelling close. So uh, we would kind of look at each other and go, well, what, is that a door or is that cruise missile?" That kind of thing. Because it is odd down there. But I mean, it was, it's a very sweet community in a way there. It's all the hotel staff and their families have come and there's toddlers running around. There was a baby being fed. There's quite a lot of pets. I actually shared a mattress with my colleague from the Sunday Times, Louise Callahan, <laughs> who had bagged it for me, which is very nice of her because they were a bit of a at a bit of a premium. And in return, she shared my duvet. But on the next mattress to us, there was a very anxious Pomeranian. Um, dog who kept <laughs> yelping through the night. And then on another mattress at the foot of my bed, there were three people who had a, a very well-behaved black and white cat with them who who was much more chilled than the dog. But I mean, it was fine. It was fine.
0: Catherine, it sounds so surreal, you know, being down there with, with toddlers and children and pets and, and other correspondents. But, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's so easy to forget that this time last week, People in Kyiv were still walking around thinking, you know, carrying on with life as normal and thinking war wouldn't happen and suddenly there you are spending the night in a bunker. What was the mood like for locals? I mean, is, are,
1: are people panicked now? No, I would say that when the invasion actually happened, the first reaction was just absolute shock. I mean, just astonishing shock. And I think it was much harder for people here to believe it was really going to happen than it was for people in the West because all the Western intelligence, you know, officials were warning of it. We, we have a scepticism, I'm afraid, since, uh, I mean, we should be sceptical as, as journalists, of course, but we do have a, a scepticism since Iraq, obviously, about some of these warnings. People in Kiev just didn't believe he'd actually send in the Russian army. So I think that shock lasted a couple of days. Hmm. And then I think there was some panic because of the inability to get out of the city. And so there were, you know, people were crowding the train station trying to get out and they didn't have tickets, so they were just trying to cram on trains. And there were some panicked scenes there. Now I think the mood's gone somewhere else. So there's a lot of reports of Russian saboteurs and special forces in the capital, which sounds sort of bonkers. But it's true because we've actually been put under a hard curfew which started at five last night and will go on until 8am on Monday morning. Mm. And that is so the Ukrainian forces can go through the city and find some of these combatants who are perhaps disguised as civilians, or even in some cases, they believe disguised as Ukrainians, because a couple of Ukrainian Military vehicles have been stolen and uh, uniforms stolen. So they are going around quite systematically at the moment around the city. I was out and about yesterday before the curfew came into effect. And it wasn't clear that under the curfew, whether there would even be an exception for people to get to shelters if they weren't already there. Mm. And at sort of 3.30 in the afternoon, quite a lot of people didn't necessarily know the curfew was coming in so there was a bit of a mad rush for some people to get underground to get into one of these metro stations that's being used as a bomb shelter before 5 p.m. so that they would then have to stay there for 36 hours so those are much more grim conditions i think than than what i had last night because i had you know proper bedding and a mattress and and those people won't But just being out and about yesterday, clearly the message about the likely presence of Russian soldiers within Kiev was sort of tripping off a lot of suspicion amongst people. There was a nervousness and a suspicion, and that even extended to journalists as well. I mean, I had someone take my phone off me and delete my photographs. He was one of these civilian volunteers who was kind of working with the soldiers. So he was visiting some of the commandos. He took my phone off and said, you know, we are at war. You cannot reveal anything about what these streets look like. I mean, the streets are completely deserted. The only people on them are commandos. And I mean, we we were told quite unequivocally, do not go out. You will be treated as a Russian saboteur. What happens to you is down to you, even if you're wearing a flat jacket with press written across it. It's sort of, wow. yeah, liquidation time if you go out there. So, yeah, people are observing that. It would be wrong to use the word paranoia for the reason that paranoia describes an irrational fear, and this fear is mm. completely rational. It, yeah. There really are. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds like something out of, you know, a World War II spy novel to say there are saboteurs in the... In in the city, but call them what you want—they're here.
0: They really are. Whilst Catherine was stuck spending the night in a bunker as war raged around her in Kiev, I was in London phoning contacts, and what I learned explains the new atmosphere of suspicion in the Ukrainian capital. I was told that back in January, between two to four thousand Russian mercenaries had been pulled out of Africa and sent into Ukraine. They had dispersed into the disputed regions of Donetsk and Lugansk, and more than 400 of them had infiltrated the capital after sneaking over the Belarus border. And since they'd arrived in Kiev, those mercenaries had been planning a series of assassinations that would decapitate the government. According to my sources, The list of targets includes President Zelensky, the Prime Minister, the Cabinet and the Mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, and his brother Vladimir. All of these prominent Ukrainian figures had been warned by Western intelligence services that the Russians had placed them on a hit list. But despite that, they chose to stay on and fight alongside the people of Kiev. That's why it was so remarkable a few days ago when President Zelensky, the Prime Minister, and some senior aides stood on the streets of the city and announced We are all here and we're not leaving.
3: Slava Ukraine.
0: At the time, they thought they were bravely facing up to the advancing Russian soldiers. What they didn't realise was that their potential assassins were already there, on the streets around them. Those assassins come from the Wagner Group, a private militia run by the oligarch known as Putin's chef, Yevgeny Prigozhin. These mercenaries have been conducting covert operations around the world at the behest of the Kremlin. You might remember we talked about them back in October with The Times diplomatic editor Roger Boyes.
3: What has happened with Wagner is there are a lot of trained Russian soldiers who can leave service relatively early, that's to say young enough to have a second career, who are underpaid in the Russian army, but well-trained. And these people are a pool for private armies, for mercenaries. Oligarchs got this right at the beginning in the 1990s, because they needed private armies to protect, because it was really brutal, the transition to this privatization of what used to be the Soviet Union. And so... These people were incorporated into a theory of war, so by the time of the invasion in Crimea, you didn't really want to invade it with Russian troops, because that would generate a hostile response from the West. So you hired former soldiers. This morning, more unidentified pro-Russia armed militias patrolling the streets of Crimea's capital. These were trained forces, private, with access to live state military intelligence and Russian military kit, helicopters and so on. And that's how bits of eastern Ukraine were taken over very fast and how Crimea was annexed almost overnight. And that became a model for all sorts of opportunities, let's say. That's how Putin sees it.
0: So the Wagner Group were key the last time Russia invaded part of Ukraine back in 2014 and they're proving to be just as important this time round. Dressed in plain clothes, they were able to enter Ukraine before the official invasion had begun. General Sir Richard Barons, a former commander of Joint Forces Command, explained why the Wagner Group is so useful to the Kremlin when I rang him yesterday.
2: It can do very forceful things in a way that are not directly linked to the Russian government and therefore plausibly deniable.
0: And how effective are they from what we've seen of their actions in places like Africa and Syria and, in fact, eastern Ukraine in the past?
2: Forces like this in the right setting can be very effective because they can be very violent and they are hard to pin down. They can appear from the shadows, do very violent things and then disappear again without it being obvious who's responsible In the context of Ukraine, we shouldn't be at all surprised if organisations like the Wagner Group are present on the ground and indeed may have been for some time, as it were, behind enemy lines because they would be ideal for sabotage, close quarter assassination, sowing discord and generally unsettling the Ukrainian population that that there are people in their midst who, who are a real threat to them.
0: My sources told me some mercenaries had been tasked with guiding Russian military columns into Kiev, whilst others had to hunt down and kill 24 prominent figures, including the president. I was told they'd been tracking them for weeks and knew with pinpoint accuracy where they were in the city every time they used their mobile phones. For days, the mercenaries have been ready to strike. They're just waiting for a signal from the Kremlin. And the operation has been paused briefly because President Putin wants to look like he's engaging in peace talks with President Zelensky. But the mercenaries believe this is all smoke and mirrors and that no deal will be reached. They've been told they'll receive huge bonuses for carrying out the assassinations. And the operation is scheduled to take place in the next few days. When it's done, they'll be rapidly extracted from the country, their mission accomplished. I told Catherine about what I'd learnt.
1: I have to say, I found it deeply chilling just listening to you. I don't know if you could tell, Honestly, I was quite I quiet. Like, it yeah. would explain why the Russians haven't cut off communications.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what I, that's Because I, I have to be really wondering said. why, yeah. Hmm. It's so bleak.
1: <sighs> I was aware of the kill list and assumed that things of which you... <laughs> the things you describe, were sort of happening, but those are very specific and, yeah, pretty pretty disturbing. I mean, Zelensky was offered to... The, the Americans offered to get Zelensky out. You know, in the line for the ages, he said, um, I need ammunition, not a ride, and said he would stay. You know, part of this whole resistance that the Ukrainians are putting up has been his leadership, which has actually surprised, I think, us all, because... I think there was quite a lot of scepticism about his ability to deal with a situation like this until the, the Russian troops were almost on top of us, at which point he's kind of found his, you know, Churchill moment. And, you know, that line, you're right, is so much more
0: meaningful when you realise he's known all along that he's on he's on yes. a hit list. I know that one of my sources has told the Ukrainian authorities, and I think that's probably led to some of this curfew. It's one of the mm. pieces of information they'll have that will have... Informed the, the curfew and the, the hunt for saboteurs, and what was really interesting actually is that they said they were told more than a month ago the whole plan, but the Russian army weren't because they were concerned they were concerns, told, yeah. they were concerns yeah. that the Russian army wouldn't want to fight, and they claim so we you know I can't verify this, but certainly the chatter amongst the Wagner group is that several Russian officers were executed
1: because they refused to advance, hmm. and they did find out they, were, they, were, they needed to go in. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think this is going to, I, I think that issue is just going to get more difficult because, you know, the difference between being an invading force of a neighbouring country and someone defending their land, it's just, you know, just the, in terms of motivation, it's so unequal. Our correspondent in Moscow doesn't think the foreign minister knew and sort of suggests really?
0: that, Yeah. That Lavrov, La- didn't Lavrov know. who who was yeah. who was doing all the diplomacy yeah. did it not knowing. Yeah. That's what he thinks. That's remarkable. Mm. And I suppose that sort of makes sense if the if the army didn't know because the Wagner group are obviously Putin's mates' <laughs> yeah. own private army. Yeah. So they're off the books. Um, Catherine, from where you are, I mean, what does the next week look like? <laughs>
1: I don't know. Um, I really I don't know. Um, it could get extremely ugly.
0: Coming up, chilling warnings from Western intelligence services about how the war might escalate. That's after a word from the editor.
3: Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three
2: months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Catherine, if there
0: is a sense, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last few days. You know, Russia has been slightly on the back foot. They weren't expecting so much Ukrainian resistance. Now, we don't know if that'll last, but... There have now been real fears. I know you've been reporting on this of how the Russians might escalate things. I mean, tell Mm. us about what you're hearing.
1: Well, we had a briefing on Friday from some Western intelligence officials. Obviously, they were describing a situation to us and interpreting it in a certain way and then laying out possible scenarios moving forward. And one is, I mean, yes, it's absolutely clear, even from here, you can tell this is not going as fast as it was meant to. Vladimir Putin made this very angry address to his Security Council on Friday, and he addressed Ukrainians and told the army to overthrow their own president.
3: Once again, I appeal to the Ukrainian armed forces. Do not allow the neo-Nazis and Benderites to use your children, your wives and old people as human shields. Take power into your own hands. Like that, it will be easier for us to come to an agreement than with that gang of druggies and neo-Nazis who have seized Kiev and who are taking the entire Ukrainian people hostage. I think that
1: was reflective of his frustration. And so what the intelligence officials were saying was that they fear that if he or the military are becoming increasingly frustrated by the slowness of their advance, that they will employ some tactics that we have seen them use before in places like Aleppo and Grozny in Chechnya, including the use of heavy artillery on civilian areas and a thing called a thermobaric bomb, or thermobaric bombs, plural. And we know those two have been used in Aleppo and Grozny with pretty devastating effect.
0: And Catherine, you know, to get a sense of what damage that might do to to a city like kiev i mean just talk us through like a little brief history of how we've seen them used in places like grozny and and syria
1: so firstly a thermobaric bomb it, it's nicknamed a vacuum bomb and the problem is that when it explodes it sucks the oxygen in towards the blast oh not out and what that can do is a horrible damage to internal organs, including people's lungs. It can collapse your lungs. So it's not a guided munition, which is the problem when it's used in civilian areas. It's, it's meant to be a battlefield weapon. It's not meant to be where civilians are. They are mobile because they are fired from the back of, of a sort of truck mounted rocket launcher system. Hmm. So those can be moved forward with an armored column coming in from. Belarus and could be fired on Kyiv. And that is the fear because Kyiv is so important to them. It's Kyiv they need to get to if they want to decapitate the government, which is their aim. So that's the fear of what might happen here. And it it is a dense city. It could be somewhere like Paris. You've got those tenement buildings that are about five or six stories high. Mm. If you've ever seen drone footage of Aleppo, it was a beautiful city of great antiquity once upon a time. And now it looks like, you know, World War II movies of Stalingrad, where it just sort of, buildings sort of look like shells. They're just hollowed out. It's almost inconceivable, just sitting here as I am now, looking over these lovely rooftops of these Baroque buildings, that that could happen here. But we don't know. If the rations do advance, the issue with the level of resistance going on is obviously that it prolongs the fighting. I, it's possible the Russians could mess up their logistics so badly. You know, yesterday even, there were far fewer cruise missile strikes than previously. And in, at the same time, we were hearing this these analyses of how many they had and that they might actually have to be rationing them. And and be fearful that it was going to run out because they still don't have air supremacy, which is what they would have expected to have on, I think, day one. Mm. But then again, if they did decapitate the government, that would mean a new phase. And if they were able to do that with the kind of people you're talking about, who who they've placed on the ground, I... Don't think that would be the end of it, though. I mean, not even momentarily. I think the Ukrainians would still keep fighting, even if they lost their leader. I think they would. But that doesn't mean they can stop the Russians getting into the center of Kyiv. I mean, I still can't quite believe that they, they can actually stop it. But I just, I simply don't know. We're sort of braced for all eventualities here, including the prospect of, of pretty grim street to street fighting. And Catherine, what what happens
0: to you if all of that starts?
1: I've assumed that we get out of here either because the Russians kick us out or we have a negotiated exit with them. I hope that's not the case because that would mean that they were in control. But that is what I went into this assuming. So, yeah. There's obviously so much
0: support for the Ukrainians here. One of the things that's been doing the rounds is sort of a, an English translation of of the national anthem. There's a line. Really? It sort of says, as in springtime melts the snow, so shall melt away the foe, and we shall be masters in our own home, which
1: suddenly feels quite apt. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, I've got the window open here, and the sun's coming through. It's definitely getting warmer. I think an early spring is a exactly what most people here want.
0: listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of the times and the sunday times with me manveen rana and my guest the times diplomatic correspondent Catherine philp in kiev and we also had a little guide to mercenaries from general sir richard barons you can keep up with all of Catherine's reporting from ukraine at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print the producers today were James Shield and Asia Fuchs, with some help from Oliver Adamson, and the executive producer is Kate Ford. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.